0: You know, John Van Epp is uh, the, the founder, the president and founder of Love Thinks. Uh, he's been a pastor. He's been a professor, a counselor, and now he's developed this RAM curriculum. You know, his, his articles have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and O Magazine, which I think if Oprah's on your side, you're, you're, you've got it, right? Uh, He's appeared on Good Morning America, Fox News, all kinds of stuff. I tell you, this guy's legit. I'm excited to hear his word tonight. Let's welcome John Epp. Well, over the past uh, several months, I've had such a wonderful privilege of working with Pastor Dan and Steve Allen, who we want to pray for. He's not here. And, uh... (laughs) Oh, Christine, and all the staff of the Kidsmen and the youth, it's just been phenomenal. And um, it's really an honor to be um, part of your life here, and uh, such an honor to have you use the, the RAM series and to allow me to have this opportunity of kicking off what we really have been praying will be a super meaningful focus on your most personal most important, significant relationships in life. Your relationship with God, with our Lord Jesus, but your relationships with those people that are really so important. You know, relationships can be so challenging. They can be difficult, right? So I wanted to start with a a note of optimism and hope and uh, positivity. So I Came up with the title, Winning at Relationships, which kind of begs a question, I don't know how we do win at relationships, but we will figure that out tonight. So as I was getting ready, I was looking around for articles about the experts and what the experts have to say about winning at relationships. And I came across what we'll call the junior experts, kids between age five and 10, who were asked questions about love, dating, and marriage. Winning at marriage, Judy, age eight, was asked, Judy, what is the proper age, the best age to get married? 84. (laughs) She, She explains, when you're 84, you don't have to work anymore, and you can spend all your time loving each other in the bedroom. Didn't know what you had to look forward to at age 84, did you? <laughs> Tommy, age five, was a bit more optimistic about the time frame when getting married. He said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> Winning at dating. What should people do on a date? Michael, age 10. On the first date, just tell each other a bunch of lies. That will usually get the other person interested enough to go out on a second date. (laughs) You know he's right. Winning at love, last question was, why do people fall in love? Well, Jan, age nine, said, no one really knows, but I've heard it has something to do with how they smell. (laughs) That's why deodorant and perfume are so important. And I like what David said. He goes... Love's going to find you no matter what. Even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five years old. (laughs) You know, we're all looking for answers to our relationship questions and concerns. But I submit to you that God has a formula for how to win at relationships. So I'm going to describe kind of a biblical formula. We're going to take a little bit of time, go into the scriptures, get a good biblical formula, and then we're going to transition and talk about how exactly do we implement that formula in real life. So we're going to get really practical and we're going to introduce this model that you're going to be you know, learning a lot about over the next couple months and use it to help us understand practical steps of implementing a biblical model for relationships. So here we go. What is the biblical model? Very simply stated, The biblical model is this, God's provision plus your effort equals winning at relationships. So there's a passage of scripture that really goes in depth, and it was in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And of all of the writings of Paul... The letter to the Philippians is considered his most personal letter. And interestingly, he talks more about relationships and how to win at relationships than anywhere else in all his writings. And it is really the heart of what he is all about and what God's will should be all about for us. So I'm going to read chapter two, and I just want you to kind of pay attention. It begins with if, and then verse two says then. So it's an if-then kind of reasoning. And essentially, just so we get a little technical, it's not if like this is hypothetical. I don't know if it's true or not, you know, if this is true. It's not a hypothetical. It's more like here's fact. This is factual. So if this is fact, then expect to do this. And that's what the if then is about. So here you go. Watch for the formula as I read the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's a fact. So you could just put the word since. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have common sharing in the spirit and tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather than In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, look at this passage. God's provision is right there in verse 1. Encouragement, comfort, common sharing of the spirit, tenderness, compassion. This is what God has provided for us. Now, he gets into, here is your effort. Be like-minded, practice love, practice oneness. Don't be selfish, vain. Rather, develop humility. Look to the interests of others over yourself. It's as if God says, I'm gonna give you a supernatural provision, but I want you to match it with intentional effort. So before I kind of extract this a little bit more, I want to dig down into this formula and pull out of it kind of two buried realities of relationships. And the first one is this, relationships do not run themselves. Do you see that? God says, I give you provision to run a relationship. You have to put effort, but don't be mistaken. This relationship, this thing we call relationship, it doesn't run itself. It needs to be governed. Somebody must take charge of the relationship. Somebody must manage the relationship, direct it in some kind of goal oriented ways. God wants us to do that. Now, get this if relationships don't run themselves, they also are not self correcting. And that's the second reality of the relationship. Our relationships don't fix themselves. When a relationship breaks, someone must do something to bring about some healing in that relationship. You know, I do think we have this kind of misguided belief that if you have a really good relationship, it just kind of takes care of itself. It it runs itself. And I think this is also a barrier. Sometimes married couples, you know, they're invited to do a marriage event. You know, join a married group, go to this class, do that. And they're like, ah, you know, we're getting along pretty good why mess it up? Right? It runs itself. We don't need to go. But what we're going to see is that the biblical formula is the exact opposite. It is only the relationships that are actually intentionally run that stay strong, stay resilient over the course of time. So let me unpack this formula just a little bit more. I'm going to jump from verse four all the way down to verse 12 and 13. There's a whole section there that is really important, but we're not gonna unpack all of that. I wanna go to Paul's conclusion. He wraps up what he is saying about this formula of relationships in a very succinct but profound summary. He goes, therefore, in conclusion, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act of his good pleasure. Now, I want you to see the formula right there. It is God. You are to work out while God works in. Many years ago, I, in seminary, had to take two years of Greek, which anybody that studied Greek, it's an awful language to to learn. So we got somebody over here that knows what I'm talking about, but I do love the fact that the New Testament being written in Greek, sometimes words that are used in the Greek language, it's hard to translate them. And there's two completely different words that Paul uses here for God working in you and you working out your salvation. So I just want to explain those two words and do a little word study because I think they really bring to life this formula that we're talking about. So, first of all, verse 13... It's God who works in you to will and to do. What does that mean? Well, when I tell you what the Greek word is in in English transliteration, you're going to recognize it right away. It's the word energase, from which we get the word what? Oh, you guys can talk. Come on. Energy. So look at this passage. It is God who energizes what? Your will. Now think about that what is your will? That's your willpower. That's your motivation. That's your desire, right? I mean, think about that. Relationships, let's be honest. Relationships sometimes ask us to do something that we just don't feel like doing. Did you ever have that? You know what's right to do, but you're like, ah, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of bitter. I'm just a little ticked off. Or, you know, feeling a little lazy. I know that would be really nice to do this for my wife or to do this for my kids or to do this for a friend, but later, not now. God, when you yield your life to the Lord and you walk in the Spirit, this is not God out there. This is God in your temple. This is God saying, I'm going to energize your willpower and I'm going to move the desires of your heart to want to do what I want you to do in a relationship. But look at it, it's not just your willpower. He says, I'm gonna energize your will and your action to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Isn't that wonderful? God is going to help you actually accomplish what you should be doing in your relationships. And if all you had to do is just pray and yield to the Lord and everything's good and he just activates your will and gives you the desire and then when you get ready to do it, he's like, okay, I'm gonna juice you up and make you do it. So boom, you do it. That would be great, but it, it says right there in verse 12, and this is our effort, you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So God's energizing you, but he uses a different word for work out. It's a word that means to perform to completion. It's what Nike kind of coined when they said, just do it. It's what Larry the Cable Guy means when he says, you know, you got in a relationship and God says, I'm going to energize you and I'm going to help you, but you know what? You need to get her done. That's what this word means. You need to put feet to what the Lord is energizing inside of you. And it says, continue to work it out. You've got to keep on doing this. You know, when I was researching this word, I came across a really interesting use Way back, even prior to uh, Christ, about 60 years, there was a, uh, an ancient writer. He was Roman. He was a historian named Strabo. And he was talking about the soldiers, Roman soldiers, actually over in Spain. And they were working in the mines, and they were digging minerals out of the earth. And he used this word, they were working out of the earth, the minerals, And I love that imagery. And if you bring that imagery right back to this passage, you continue to mine out of the deposit of God's salvation. God deposited salvation in you. And God says, I want you to dig in, to mine out that salvation, what? Practical steps, practical skills for running your relationships. God will energize us. But we have to put in the effort to dig in, mine out, and to find a plan for implementing the biblical formula. Relationships don't run themselves, they don't fix themselves. God supplies, you might say, the tools, but He calls on us to actually engage in using those tools. So let's get real practical, because this is really where I've been spending about the last 40 years of my career focused on how to take biblical truth and translate it into everyday life for people. So if you look up the word relationship in the dictionary, it simply says a connection. But in the 1980s, really when I was doing my academics, I had two small kids. My wife and I had been married less than 10 years. We had just gotten done planting a church and I had transitioned into a private practice. And I was just truly immersed in relationships, relationships in the church, relationships in my counseling practice, relationships between me and my wife and our kids. We were just immersed. But I found that both in biblical uh, writings and studies, as well as psychosocial studies, there were really no good models to define what exactly is a relationship. So I kind of put this together. And I'm gonna introduce this to you and then see if this makes sense if it gives you a practical way to run your relationship. If a relationship is a connection, the question I ask, what exactly are the specific connections between you and another person? Well, they are how well you know somebody. But knowing them, it creates a bond. It creates a feeling of closeness. When you know them and they're two-way streets, they know you. But it's not just knowing them, there's also that belief of trust. That creates a bond. And obviously some people you don't know very well, but you trust them a lot, like your doctors maybe, right? Put your life in their hands and you depend on them. And then there's other people as you get to know them, you don't trust them then at all. Like, well, we won't say who, but that happens. But this is a part of every one of our relationships. And then it's how we actually depend. We, we rely on them and they rely on us and our commitment, our investment. And then there's touch from affectionate, from friendship, from parents and kids, from snuggling and touch to romantic relationships and a sexual touch. Each one of these on its own is bonding. I'll give you a quick example. So my wife and I raised our family in Northern Ohio it was actually where I was from, and I was getting on a plane in Cleveland to fly to St. Louis to do a training. And uh, as I sat down, this uh, woman, probably in her early 60s, came and she was full of packages and she was shoving them under the seat and above. And sat down, and I kind of made connection with her, and I said, "Are you going home?" It looked like she'd been shopping. You know, I don't know why anybody go to Cleveland, Ohio, shopping, but anyway, she was. She looked like she'd been shopping, and so I was like, "Are you, are you shopping?" And so she's like. I'm from St. Louis originally, my job took me out to Cleveland and I've been living here and I have not been home to see my kids and my grandkids and it's been well over a year and my entire vacation, first time I'm getting two weeks of vacation, I'm going back and every waking moment I'm spending with my grandkids and she pulls her phone and she goes, you want to see them? Well, sure. Do you know how many pictures people can store on a phone? So she starts showing me pictures. Well, she's like manic. I mean, she's truly excited and on a rush. And so she's going on and on and on. And you know, then they talk about the oxygen and what to do, with the plane's going to crash. And I wanted to listen in case the plane does crash, what to do. But she just kept going and going and going. And we're up in the air. And I don't know if you ever talked to somebody that just talks a lot. And you get into like this rhythm. I call it a bobblehead listening. You know what I'm talking about? And you do a little grunt. Yeah, you know, uh mm-mm, Uh-huh. And she stopped. If you've talked to somebody and they're just talking your ear off, you'll find that you keep bobbing, even though they're done. And this awkward moment, she's like, I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe I I've, I've been talking. I don't even know your name. And I said, Well, John Van Epp. And she goes, I've been telling you all about my family. So let's just let's just profile what's going on here. None of this is going on, but this is starting to go up one way. I'm getting to know her, right? Starting to go up a little bit. She goes, um, "Are you going home?" I said, "No, I'm from the Northern Ohio area. I'm flying out of Cleveland, going to St. Louis, and I'm doing a training at a university of college uh, graduate students, actually. And um, what are you training them in?" I'm said, "Oh, it's a program that I wrote." Uh, she goes, "What? Is it a business course?" I go, "No, it's not a business course. It's a..." It's a a program about um, dating and relationships. She goes, Oh, really? You know, I I teach them and they get certified and then they go out and they teach other people. She goes, Oh, that's really interesting. What's it called? I go, Well, it's not really the academic, you know, typical academic title. It's um, how to avoid marrying a jerk. Oh, my gosh. Where were you when I needed you? I've been married five times. Let me tell you about my first husband. So about an hour and a half later, I had heard, I'd met all her grandkids. I met her kids, watched little videos. I'd heard about all five husbands and now we were talking about the guy that she was seeing right now. And when we stood up and we said our goodbyes before we deplaned, what do you think she did? So I'm gonna make it crooked because I didn't hug her back. I mean, come on. Five marriages, okay? It's just something, I don't know. You just gotta, I don't know. Fill in the blank, okay? My point is this. In that story, really the only thing that was being activated is that she was feeling known. I was being a good listener. And as she talked to me and shared with me and and then then realized that she could open up and share more with me about her history and her life. As she felt known, she felt bonded. And we could take hours, which we're not going to do, but I could go through all five of these areas and tell you story after story that each one on its own is a source of bond. It's how you connect. It's how you feel. These are the five areas that you connect with God. You get to know God, but you got to take what you know and translate it into a belief, a trust. And then you have to take steps of faith because faith without works, belief without works, right? So you have to rely on the Lord and you have to come to terms with the Lordship of Christ over and over in your life. And we don't have time to talk about it, but you'll get into it. The incarnation of Christ and the resurrection of Christ makes physical touch, not only part of our relationships right here on this earth, but because of the resurrection In our future resurrection, some kind of physical involvement, interaction with people seems to go on into eternity. Each one of these is bonding. But here, get this. If you put them together, you now have a picture, a profile of what goes on between you and other people. You now have a way to understand relationships. So let me give you... Some very quick, practical things. Number one, build a new relationship within a safe zone. So these really don't have any order to them, right? They just kind of exist. But if you think about a brand new relationship, let's think of a dating relationship, okay? In a dating relationship, there is a sequence. So as you get to know somebody, it should inform what you should trust about them. Does that make sense? And what you know and trust should be proven out in dependability. Are they reliable, dependable? And that should inform where you go in your commitment and where you set boundaries and touch. The safe zone, though, if we get out of it, simply means this. One of the levels gets a lot higher than any to the left. Can you see vulnerability in trusting somebody way more than you know them? I submit to you that Lots of people date, and when they date, they get to know a little bit about somebody, and the little bit that they get to know, they project onto that person all kinds of good things, and before you know it, they are trusting them way beyond what they know. And when that happens, believe me, the bond of their heart begins to override the judgment of their mind. They begin to rationalize and not see things straight. So... Just remember this, when you start dating, those of you who are single, usually you meet the Facebook representation of a person. You know, in the beginning of a relationship, that's who you meet, and then as time goes on, it changes, and you start to then find that the reality of the person shows up, right? Hopefully not like that, but it can happen. As you go through the singles material, In the youth and singles, you're going to learn that there are five major areas to get to know about somebody that really give a great picture, a great profile of what that person is like. And you'll learn all kinds of things about how to stay in the safe zone while you're building a relationship and stay in the safe zone, but really explore the most important areas. Step number two, if we're applying this model to an ongoing relationship, let's talk about not dating for a moment. Let's just talk about marriage. We could be talking about parenting. We could be talking about friendships. A relationship that's already developed and it's ongoing. Step number two simply says this. Expect your relationships to regularly get out of balance. Life has a way of deflating the bonds of your relationship. They're just natural They come around, life messes you up. And it's not just bad things, it's good things in life. I mean, I just want you to think about it. Here's a married couple. They get married, everything's wonderful. As their life journey goes on, what's one thing, now I don't want sin or failure, just something good, something normal. What's a normal thing that's going to cause something to drop down a little bit in their life? Give me some shout outs. Kids, right? Right? Let's ask, what do kids do to your relationship? Well, first of all, my wife and I, our kids are grown, and they are married and have families of their own, but we got grandkids, and sometimes our grandkids look like this, you know? And um, they get along, and they're happy, and they come, they spend the night, and they're all cuddly, cuddly and snuggly and everything. And then other times, they look like this, or this, Or this, or or check out her face. You know what she's thinking. And I don't know if you can read what that book says, but it says, have a new kid by Friday. And on Thursday, it was thrown in the toilet. Not from mom, believe me. Listen, I want you to say something with me out loud. It is normal to become imbalanced in my relationships. So let's say that together. Here we go. It is normal to become imbalanced in, in my relationship. Here's this couple, they get married, they have a kid. What does having a baby do to your relationship? What's one level that's gonna naturally be deflated? You might as well just put that over, <laughs> right? Right? I'm saying this is normal, okay? All of a sudden, all you talk about is the kids. Well, then this eventually goes back up, and you have another kid. Well, by the time you have two or three, (laughs) all of a sudden, you're meeting the needs of the kids. You become kid-centric. I just want you to see, that's what I call an imbalance. So I want you, if you're married, or if you're here with any family or good friends, I just want you to look at them, and I want you to say, it is normal. But I want you to be convinced. I want you to convince that person, it is normal for us to become imbalanced in our relationship. So turn and look at somebody and say it with meaning. Ready? On three. One, two, three. It is normal for us to become imbalanced in our relationship. Now, I just want you to think about this. The danger is not becoming imbalanced. The danger is not becoming imbalanced. It's what? Principle number three, step number three, identify your slow leaks. Identify your slow leaks. Because if it's normal to get out of balance, what happens to too many of us is that we are not doing the biblical formula of running our relationship So our relationship gets out of balance. We're not running our relationship. The relationship doesn't fix itself. Five months of a slow leak, that's normal. No big deal. But when you're not running the relationship, you're not identifying the slow leaks, listen to me. Five months, you blink your eyes, it's five years. You blink your eyes again and it's 15. And that slow leak has now led to a big blowout in your relationship. In my private practice, back when I had it, I would say just about every couple that ever came to me, you could trace back that sometime there was a slow leak. And many times, it was just a normal slow leak. It just was happening. But that normal slow leak set them up because they didn't do anything about it. They didn't have What we're going to say is number four, and this is the most important step. Establish a plan for managing your relationships. God says, I'll give you the provision. I'll energize you. I'll activate your will and your desire. I'll help give you the empowerment to actually do it. But you have got to dig in, mine out, and have a plan for literally running that relationship. Life will imbalance us. That's normal. Jesus said, in this world, you have tribulation. And I think that's not just true for our personal journey. It's true for our relationship journey. But listen, you're going to have a six-week series where you can really make it your intentional goal to become a major relationship manager the most important relationships in your life. That's what it's going to be all about. This model, I'm hoping for a lot of you, it will become like a GPS, a relationship GPS system where you can identify, hey, where are we? We can use it in our marriage. Where are, we, where are we in the know? What are we kind of like falling out of the know or slipping out of the know? You know, where's our, our trust? You're gonna get into the weeds and learn all of the details of each of these. Where are we in our touch life? What's going on? And as you identify like a relationship GPS, this is where we are. This is our location. We can also route how to get to our destination of bringing this back up to full strength. And we can come up with practical ways to do this. For singles, I want it to be a GPS that you use to stay in the safe zone and to know there are key areas to really get to know, which I didn't give you uh, today, but I'm telling you, there's key areas to get to know that you're gonna learn about that truly foreshadow what a person is like relationally and character. Youth will learn this, you'll all have a map. So listen, if, you are, uh, if you're single, join a singles group. We're making videos available for you. If you're in a small group, as couples, join the couples group. If you're in a couples group and you're single, you can do the single stuff with other people. Do it both. And if you're parents and you're doing the married stuff, you can also watch the single stuff to know what your high schoolers are, are learning. Learn all of this because... One picture of the universal bonds in your relationship with God in your relationship with other people becomes a common language to be able to talk together about running your relationship. So let's make this biblical formula of God empowers me. God's provision gives me energy. But my effort actually mixed with that results in winning at relationships. This is really how we do it. God wants us to win. He enables us to win. And with your participation, your commitment, your effort, you will actualize that win in your life. If you'd bow with me, there was a passage in that Philippians chapter 2 that I skipped. And with your eyes closed, I just want you to listen closely to some of that passage because it says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. As you are praying, I want you to just think about this. God is not asking you to do what he himself hasn't first done. The second person of our triune God laid aside all of his rights, his entitlements, all of his power. And he said, I'm gonna step not only into humanity, but I am gonna take the very disposition of a servant And when he says, so therefore, you work out your salvation in relationships, he's telling you, he not only empowered you, he modeled it for you. Our dear Lord, we conclude this time together and we just thank you that you've given us a provision, an empowerment in our relationships. But I know in my own life, I know I speak for each person here, help us to take the responsibility, to take advantage of this series, to learn to more intentionally and actively actually engage in running our relationships. God, we pray you'll inspire each and every one of us to formalize a plan to put that kind of effort into running our relationships. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.